sermon text for this morning is Genesis 47, verses 27 through 31. Genesis 47, verses 27 through 31. And it says, Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it, and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt seventeen years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were a hundred and forty-seven years. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. The word of the Lord. It's the elephant in the room. That which everyone experiences, but no one likes to talk about. We have varying names for it to lessen the blow. But still, it takes your breath away. It's the enemy that no matter how hard you try to escape it, it eventually tracks you down. It's not predictable, nor is it convenient. Sometimes it comes suddenly, and sometimes it is a slow process. But no one No one, no one gets away with it. Death, brothers and sisters, death is the appointment that no one misses. Verse 29 of our our text reiterates that truth for us. Verse 29 says, And when the time drew near that Israel must die. What a striking statement that is. There is no maybe implied in this this verse. Jacob's time had come. As Hebrews 9 and 27 says, it is appointed for man to die once. Appointed. And after that comes judgment. The Bible, unlike the sensibilities of our culture, talks about death often and quite matter-of-factly. It's not celebrated, but, but nor is it swept under the rug never to be discussed. Death in the scriptures is, is described as, as, an, as an enemy in 1 Corinthians 15. It is a, it is a product of this, of this fallen world and and we here have in our text Jacob in his final days over the last several months we have been going through and studying the life of of Joseph he he has been the emphasis of our our series but you do realize you do understand that you cannot uh rightly understand the life of Joseph apart from Jacob. 
They are inseparably linked. Father and son, as you weave your way through the narrative found in the final chapters of, of the book of Genesis. And so this morning we've come to a significant, a significant event in the life of Joseph. His father, his father Jacob is on his deathbed. And in a culture where birthrights and, and blessings and inheritance are of huge import, import, importance, there was perhaps no bigger event in the life of Joseph for he and his infamous brothers. Jacob had come to his 147th year upon this earth, the, the text tells us. And, and as we come to the end of his life, these 147 years are now uh, coming now to an end. We, we learn first that, that Jake, Jacob's latter years were, were greater than his, his former years. For he gets to catch a glimpse of the promise. When Jacob entered into Egypt, you do remember that he was 130 years old. Even, even then, he wasn't sure how much, how much time he, he had left to live. You do recall, you remember at his reunion with his long-lost son, Joseph, he exclaimed that he was ready to die because he had seen and been reunited with his son, whom he thought was dead. Even in his attitude before Pharaoh, as, as Joseph introduces him to Pharaoh, he has the attitude of one who, who had this feeling, who had this notion that his, his days left upon this earth were few. But in God's providence, he had Jacob live 17 more years. And in those years, Jacob got to catch a glimpse of the promise and was assured of the faithfulness of God. Verse 27 says, Thus Israel settled in the land, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. Didn't we, didn't we say last week that, that God always keeps his promise? The, 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 the promise that God had made to Abraham and to Isaac, the promise that they would be a multitude of nations, that their, that their descendants would outnumber the stars, Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, the son of Isaac, had the privilege and joy of catching a glimpse of it. I graduated from... Um, Kennesaw State University here in Atlanta, Kennesaw, Georgia. Um, when, I, when I attended Kennesaw, um, it was a commuter school. No dorms, small parking lots. I remember searching for hours, trying to find, late to class, <laughs> trying to find a, a parking lot. There, there was talk back then that you know, Kennesaw was going to grow, and they were going to put in dorms, and they were going to have a football team, and, and they were going to be big in buildings. 
I had, I had heard it, and, and before graduation, I, I did, I did, I did get to see them uh, breaking ground on, on, a, on a parking lot. <laughs> I got to catch a glimpse. If you, if you go to Kennesaw now, they, they, they've got dorms, and, 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 and they've got um, buildings galore and parking lots for days. I just got to catch a glimpse. The people who came and graduated before me didn't even know, and they heard rumblings, but they didn't even get to catch a glimpse of it. The people now are experiencing, oh, what was promised. 17 years in Goshen. The famine had ended, and here is Jacob getting to experience this glimpse of the promise. The Lord had multiplied his descendants, his, his family greatly. God had been faithful. Listen, brothers and sisters, like God and his goodness, the Bible is clear on God and his faithfulness. That, that is how he reveals himself. You do remember in Exodus 34, Moses, right, wants to see God. So God says, okay, Moses, I'm going to grant you a glimpse, but I'm going to need you to hide in the cleft of this rock because you won't be able to take my glory. And he hides him in the cleft of the rock, and the Lord God passes by. His, his backside passes by Moses, and this is what he says. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is how God reveals himself to his people, that he is a faithful covenant-keeping God. Psalm 57 and 10 says, For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. The Bible is clear that God is faithful. But I am convinced that the more and more we walk with the Lord, the more and more we experience his faithfulness. His, our knowledge of it grows. Please, please, don't uh, misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that, that, God's that God's faithfulness fluctuates. God's faithfulness doesn't fluctuate. He is faithful. That is his nature, to be faithful. His faithfulness isn't an attribute that grows. As we sung, God doesn't change. He never changes. But we do. Our faith in Christ increases. Our trust in him grows, and therefore our experience of his faithfulness increases. Listen, when I sing the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness Now, when I sing that song now, it is totally different than when I sung it a month after I got saved. God hasn't changed. Him. He, he hasn't changed, but he has changed me. 
And I have gotten to see a glimpse of his and experience his faithful promises to me. The promise, the promise that, that, that God would never leave me nor forsake me. I've gotten a chance to, to catch a glimpse of that promise. The, the promise that his mercy and his goodness would follow me all the days of my life. I have gotten to see a glimpse of his faithfulness to that promise. The promise that he will direct my path. That if I would just trust in him in his understanding, that he would direct my path. The promise that he would not let my foot slip. Oh, when I sing, great is thy faithfulness now. Oh, I am. Uh, his, his, his faithfulness has increased in my sight. Oh, God hasn't changed. He's changed me. Oh, how about you, brothers and sisters? When you sing, great is thy faithfulness. Is it sweeter to you now than, than when you first believed? Oh, I hope you have seen glimpses of the faithfulness of God, the faithfulness of his promises. And Jacob got to experience a glimpse of the promise made to his father and grandfather that, that their descendants would outnumber the stars. Oh, remember when he, when he came into Egypt? They were 70 strong, but now here he is seeing a great multitude of descendants. Finally, it appeared that this promise could, was actually going to come true. Jacob was the one who got to catch that glimpse. Which is, which is amazing if you think about it. That Jacob got to catch the glimpse. Because out of all the patriarchs, out of the patriarchs, Abraham and, and Isaac and, and Jacob, Jacob should have been the least likely to catch the glimpse. Oh, I know Abraham and Isaac were, were not perfect, but compared to Jacob, <laughs> you see, more worthy of, of receiving a glimpse of the promise. But Abraham died with one son and not seeing all that Jacob got to see. Isaac died with only two sons whose relationship had been strained. But yet, the one who gets to see a glimpse, this multitude of people, is Jacob the deceiver. <laughs> he was the one who, whose days were few and evil, and he got to see this glimpse of I find, oh, I find that amazing. find it amazing because I am reminded that God is not like us. He doesn't choose whom we would choose. He doesn't, doesn't bring about his plans the way you and I would bring them about. Oh, 
fair example is Moses. You know, we would say to the Lord, you, you mean to tell me that you're going to have Moses lead your people out of Egypt, have him split the Red Sea, spend 40 years in the wilderness, and not let him see the promised land, but let his young assistant take your people into the promised land? It's not how you and I would do it. We say, say, Father, you're going to send your only son, your only son to the earth that he created? Be born of a virgin in a manger, live as a servant and die on a cross? Is that how you're going to do it, Lord? And he says, yes. Why? Because I'm God. And you know what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 and 25? For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. God doesn't work the way you and I work. He doesn't use the people you and I would use. Jacob's glimpse of the promise being fulfilled is a reminder that it is not about Jacob. It is not necessarily about Joseph. It is not about you and it is not about me, but it is about Christ the glory of God, and the revealing of his plan to bring salvation to his people. That's what it's about. That's the focus of God. God chose to give Jacob a greater glimpse than Abraham and Isaac. But the fact of the matter remains is that they all looked forward to a promise. They all had to have faith in a promise. They all had to trust the promise of God for even this glimpse that Jacob received was just that. It was a glimpse. <laughs> writer speaking, writer to the Hebrews speaking of the patriarchs. Chapter 11 and verse 13 says, these all died in faith. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. It was, it was afar that they were looking out towards, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac, they died looking in faith, looking towards promise. Oh, Jacob gets to the latter years of his life, and he got to catch a glimpse of the plan of God. His belief in the, in the faithfulness of God had been marinating for 147 years. He is now on his death, deathbed. He has this, this promise in mind. He has this promise in view. You know what he does? He makes a request to a trustworthy son. Before, 
before bestowing blessings on his family, Jacob calls for his son, Joseph. Now, if you're like me, you, you ask questions of the text. Why? Why would he choose? Why would he call Joseph? Why not Reuben? Why not Simeon? Why not, why not Judah? Because Joseph was a trustworthy son. Jacob trusted Joseph. He always had. When, when, when Joseph was a little boy, uh, Jacob trusted Joseph to, to tell him about what his, 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 uh, his, his wayward brothers were doing, right? And, and Joseph was faithful in telling his father what his brothers were out there, out there doing. But it wasn't just when he was a boy. You remember when Jacob hears that his son is alive, Joseph calls for him to come down to Egypt. Once again, Jacob's got to demonstrate a, a trust in his son, and we see how that turned out. There was blessing in, in Egypt. It was part of God's plan. Joseph had a track record of faithfulness. And so, when Jacob had this all-too-important request on his deathbed, he calls the one whom he has been trusting his, for his life, he's been trusting this whole time, and he makes a request of him. He says to him, Joseph, do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. Deathbeds, brothers and sisters, are often flooded with regret, requests, fears, anxieties, concerns. Many, many wish they had more time. Others, others are concerned with all they will leave behind, loved ones, possessions. Jacob, brothers and sisters, was, was not concerned about how he was going to die. That, you know, that, that is the fear that grips most of us. We're, most of us are not, not really scared about death or not fearful of death. We're, we're, we're fearful of how we are going to die. But that wasn't his concern. Jacob's first thoughts were not about who he was leaving behind. You want to know what Jacob was concern, concerned with? You want to know what consumed his thoughts? He was concerned with where he was going after he died. Oh, in this world, where am I going um, when I die? That is the question. That is the question that every human being uh, needs to, um, to answer. They, uh, that, that should be the question that is consuming our thoughts daily. Where am I going to go when I die? Jacob knew where he wanted to go. His desire was to go home. 
Jacob wanted to go home. He didn't want to be buried in Egypt. He wanted to be laid to rest in Canaan, the land of promise. It was the land where his fathers had been buried. Rachel was buried there. Canaan was the place that God told him he was going to bring him back to. Jacob wanted to go home when he died. Yes, yes, Egypt was, was good to him. His, his possessions multiplied. His, his descendants multiplied greatly. But the promise was Canaan, not Egypt. He knew, and he knew he was going to go home. If Jacob was going to get back to Canaan, he was going to have to trust the son who had been faithful. So Jacob asked, made him swear an oath, and trusted Joseph to take him home. Brothers and sisters, do I need to, do I need to tell us again? Maybe I do, because we quickly forget this this world consumes us. This world is very, very appealing and comfortable, and it makes it seem as though this place is our home. But brothers and sisters, this is not our home. We are pilgrims, sojourners on our way to the celestial city. It is the city that is built by God, the, the city promised to all of God's people. Hebrews 13 and 14 says, for we're here, we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. We, we are aliens, brothers and sisters, pilgrims. And Hebrews 11, 14 and 16 says, for people who speak thus, speak like, who say that you are an alien or you are a pilgrim, you are a sojourner, if that is your mentality, is that, is it, if that's how you live, thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Jacob wanted to, to go back to Canaan, but truthfully, Canaan was but a shadow of what was to come. You know, like, like Jacob, you and I await this city. It is a glorious one, a lasting one, the Bible tells us. But it is a city. It is a final resting place that we can't get to on our own. We need someone to take us there. We die. We need someone to take us home. It's 
You know what, brothers and sisters? You know what? There is a son who can be trusted. He is the faithful one. He is the faithful son of God. The one he has promised to. To when we die, he's promised to take us home. John 14, verses 1 through 3. Let not your hearts be troubled. Why are you fearing? Let your hearts not be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me, Jesus says. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that? I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Brothers and sisters, when we die, we need somebody to take us to that celestial city. We have a trustworthy son who has promised to take us to our final resting place when we die. Question is, do you think about where you want to be when you die? Is heaven, heaven is that celestial city, that which you are, are looking to? Is that, that what you are longing for? Is that the place where you want to be? Everybody wants to, to go to heaven. Everybody thinks they're going to heaven, but not everybody who thinks they're going to heaven is getting there because there's only one way to get there. On Amtrak. Not Greyhound. Delta can't get you there. Only Jesus can take you there. That is why the hymn writer says, it's a sweet verse, brothers and sisters. And when I come to die, and when I come to die, give me Jesus. And when I come to die, give me Jesus. He is the son that can be trusted to take you home when you die. So brothers and sisters, do you know, do you know what the assurance of, of knowing where you are going on your deathbed produces? You know what that produces? It produces worship. It produces worship. Verse 31. After Jacob makes this request to Joseph, that Joseph, take me home when I die. Take me to Canaan when I die. Swear to me, promise me that you will take me home when I die. Joseph answered, I will do as you have said. And Jacob said, Swear to me. And Joseph swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. He's worshiping here. In the Hebrew, that's, that's what's happening. He's worshiping here. That's what he, he, has, he has made this request to his son, this, his trustworthy son, and he has confidence that his son is going to take him home. 
stone. Jacob worshipped. Oh, what comfort. What assurance when you know where you are going when you die and that the one who has promised to take you there can be trusted. When that happens, you worship. Jacob was worshiping in his final days because he was going back to the promised land. Brothers and sisters, those who are trusting Christ, the one who can take them home on their deathbeds, they rejoice. In the midst of of what seems like just sorrow, which we should be sorrow and crying and, and just distraught. No. They're rejoicing. They're rejoicing. They're worshiping because they, they know that they're going, that they're going home. You know why they do that, brothers and sisters? Because death in Christ means life in the next. It means life in the next. Our brothers and sisters who have gone on, who, who, who are trusting, who are looking toward that celestial city where, where there will be no more crying and, and no more death and, and, and no more sadness. They worship and they rejoice because of what Jesus said. You know what Jesus said? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Oh, when you trust in the one who said that, when you trust in the one who says that, you worship through trial. You worship through tribulation. You worship even on your deathbed. What will you be doing on your deathbed? The, the Lord should not take you suddenly. He should not take you suddenly. But he should give you a time to see your, your days coming to an end. Think about my brother Romain. My brother worked. on the anniversary of his death a year ago. He knew it was coming. And he didn't despair. He worshipped. Because he believed in Jesus. And he knew that though he died in Jesus, he was living. He trusted in his son who was going to take him home 
brothers and sisters, on your deathbed, should the Lord give you time to, to see it coming, call for Jesus, the trustworthy son. Call for him. And when I come to die, give me, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give him to me. Because he's the only one who has promised to take me.